1: Wins the national championship for Notre Dame! Plus, fighting Irish hockey. They score!
2: Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame!
1: Darren Pritchett.
3: Boston College on their own 48-yard line. Evan Moorhead, two pass
0: catchers to his right, two to his left. Sets up the screen pass, oh, and a
2: diving catch by Notre Dame Benjamin Morrison. Three interceptions
3: on the day. On the screen, the pass was deflected, and Benjamin Morrison came darting up from his corner spot in a sliding catch. about timeout. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Great to have you on board on this Thursday, January the 12th of 2023. Sports Beat on the air until seven o'clock tonight. The Mike Bray Show also coming up tonight. Here on WSBT Radio, that program starts at 7 o'clock. Sports Beat Live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT Radio app. Also a live video stream right now on the Twitch app. Well, I started the program with a Paul Burmeister play-by-play call from the big Notre Dame win over Boston College. Final home game of the year for the Fighting Irish at Notre Dame Stadium. And Morrison picked off three passes in that contest. And today Morrison was recognized by the Football Writers Association of America as a part of their all-freshman team. Morrison tied for third in the country in interceptions with 6-3 in the same game against B.C. to tie a school record. Most interceptions by a Notre Dame player in a season since Manti Teo had seven back in 2012. And he was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy that season. And for the Fighting Irish, four consecutive years with a player on the Football Writers Association of America, all-freshman team, 2019 defensive back Kyle Hamilton, 2020 running back Kyron Williams, 2021 offensive tackle, Joe Alt. When you think about the 23 defense, right now, one of the first names that comes to mind is Benjamin Morrison. No more Isaiah Fosky, the Adamiola twins, no more Brandon Joseph at safety. To me, I think you could probably argue that Benjamin Morrison has an argument to be the top player returning on the defensive side of the football. In 2023, I know a lot of the services who cover Notre Dame football during the offseason, they come up with ranking the Notre Dame players from 85 to 1. I think there's a pretty good chance Morrison will be in the top 10. And I would say there is an outside shot. He is the top defensive player. Some may go with Cam Hart. Who knows? Maybe someone goes with one of the linebackers at the very least, Morrison will be in the conversation. So, nice award for Benjamin Morrison today. Ten minutes after 5 o'clock here on WSBT Radio. On Tuesday's program, Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com joined me. We talked about C.J. Williams, the wide receiver from USC, who had jumped into the transfer portal. Only four catches this year for USC. And a visit to Notre Dame. But C.J. Williams has picked Wisconsin this afternoon. So Notre Dame has been a finalist for Williams during the recruiting process and during the transfer portal recruiting process. And they have come up short on both occasions. So C.J. Williams, the former USC receiver, will play for Luke Fickle in Wisconsin. An interesting offseason for the Badgers, let alone changing coaches they have brought in Three different transfer portal quarterbacks to compete. They've got a pretty good receiver to throw to, at least potentially, in C.J. Williams. All right, that's a couple of notes today. Also, we need to mention the blue goal game Notre Dame has announced. Put it on your calendar Saturday, April the 22nd. No start time has been announced. Normally it's 12, 12.30 And we'll have the play-by-play of the Blue Gold game right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hopefully, it'll be 65 degrees and sunshine for this year's installment of the Blue Gold game. It is 5:12 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: The first pitch of the first pitch of the night, and we are ready for the first pitch into the wind of his first offering.
3: Well, we've got a hat trick worth of topics. Three topics to get to to kick off the program. First off, let's dig into just a little bit more on Notre Dame football. Everybody has lists nowadays. Very interesting list put out by ESPN Ranking the top 100 college football players of the just completed 2022 season. Three Notre Dame players made the list. I'll give you a second to think about which three you believe probably are in the top 100. I'll tell you this, all three were in the top 35 in the country, pretty impressive. We'll start at number 35, the first of three Notre Dame players on the best college football player list for 2022, according to ESPN. A guy heading to the National Football League draft, edge rusher Isaiah Foskey. Foskey, a consensus All-American this year, 11 sacks for the Fighting Irish in 2022, and he departs South Bend as the all-time sack leader, in Notre Dame history. Coming in at player number 19 for the best players in college football this year. It is awfully impressive when you don't touch the football and you're 19th on this list. Notre Dame starting left tackle, Joe Alt, What a terrific sophomore season, All-American status for Joe Alt according to Pro Football Focus they break down all the tape of these players the number one FBS tackle in the country. Fortunately we get to enjoy Joe Alt for one more season and then more than likely he will follow in the footsteps of guys like Isaiah Foskey and Michael Mayer coming to South Bend and then Developing, playing at a high level and going to the football, the pro football level by leaving school early. You have to imagine that'll be the route for Joe Alt next year. So Joe Alt, the 19th best player in college football, according to ESPN. And no surprise, the most highly ranked Notre Dame player is tight end Michael Mayer. Another All-American performance for Mayer, the top-ranked tight end on the list. Yes, he even had more of a prominent spot on this ranking than the Mackey Award winner and national championship tight end from Georgia, Brock Bowers. Michael Mayer this year, 69 catches, 809 yards, and nine touchdowns. So ESPN's top 100 college football players of 2022, Isaiah Foskey, 35, Joe Alt 19, Michael Mayer 11. Now to topic number two in our hat trick to get the program started. Big 10 basketball last night. Not a pretty sight unless you're a Penn State fan. From Happy Valley last night, Penn State 85, Indiana 66. Another miserable performance by Mike Woodson's team. Remember when IU was ranked in the top ten? Remember the road through the Big Ten went through Bloomington? Indiana's lost three in a row. They're now ten and six overall. And a shocking one and four in the Big Ten Conference. They were hard to watch last night. I was flipping around, caught a. Good, good chunk of that IU game. There just needs to be a little more blue-collar mentality from my standpoint. A little more grit with this IU basketball team. This team's in a tough spot right now. Hey, there's no doubt they miss their starting point guard, Xavier Johnson. They've got Thompson out of the lineup. He got injured. In the game against Iowa, so those two guys are key parts. We're not going to argue that, but still, this is a team that would seem to have enough talent to win a couple of these games. Hey, let's also keep in mind when IU was at pretty close to full strength, they were not competitive against schools like Arizona and Kansas. But IU's now now lost three games in a row. Mike Woodson, after the game last night, was asked. We know you have to take care of X's and O's trying to make this basketball team more competitive, but do you also have to worry about the mental side? The psyche of this IU team that is in a major funk right now.
2: Well, I gotta manage it. You know, I mean, we got some young guys. You know, our, our two veterans are sitting on the side and they're not coming through that door anytime soon. So, you know, I'm going to have to manage it. You know, our guys are a little down right now and they should be. They got smacked in the face tonight. And, you know, my thing is we're just, we're not competing at all. And, and that's on me. You know, I got to get us competing harder and stronger. And we're not, not doing that. You know, we was awful in guarding. We had a good game plan going in. And we just, I mean, half of the threes, we're right there with a hand and hoping that they miss instead of just getting into the ball and making them put it down.
3: So you can hear coach Woodson believing that this team just needs to dig in more defensively and the numbers don't lie. Third consecutive game, Indiana has given up 80 or more points. Now Penn State, they shot it really well from three, could have Indiana defended it a little better, yes, but there were some shots that Penn State was just making it look like they were dropping it in the ocean. They made it look really easy last night. Seth Lundy, Andrew Funk, they combined to go 14 of 24 from the three-point line. Lundy had 25 points and seven three-pointers. Funk had 23 points and 7 three-pointers. Mercy. That is tough to overcome. It's also going to be more difficult to overcome when the best player on the team has a good night, but there are points where the best player on the team has to put the team on his back and try to get them through some tough moments. Trace Jackson Davis, Amadas, 14 points and 11 rebounds. The great freshman, Jalen hood Shafino, Big Ten Rookie of the Week. Last night, didn't shoot it as well. 5 of 15, 11 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. But I love the way Penn State spread the floor. They made IU defend, or at least forced them to think about defending the 3-point line. And what does Penn State do? They go 18 of 31 from trifecta land for 58.1%. Coach Woodson,
2: what up? Well, half of them. I got like I said. I got to go back and look at the film tonight. Half of them, I know we were right there, and you just raise a hand. That ain't good enough. That's totally not good enough. If you're right there, you got to get up one more step and make them put the ball down. And we weren't. We just weren't doing that.
3: Hmm. Well, at least Mike did not have to worry about the opposing coach last night crossing the center line to yell at himself and the rest of the coaching staff. (laughs) Definitely weren't playing Iowa. So here we are. There were a lot of people from the IU media base that really felt like this was going to be an awesome team. The national media voted Indiana very high in the polls to start the year. This was a top 10 team, but now they're 10 and six, one and four, and they are really reeling. Head coach, Mike Woodson, I thought was asked a pretty fair question last night. Why is this thing falling apart?
2: We're young, two of our veteran guys are sitting on the sideline that we truly depend on. You know, I mean, that, that plays a major role in it right there. But again, I'm not using it as an excuse. I told these young guys when we got them this year, you gotta grow up quickly. And it ain't just the young guys. You know, the Millers, the Geronimos, the Galloways, they are senior guys. They gotta step up and play and give us more. And I thought that they were I thought Gallo competed, but you know, Geronimo was all over the place. I thought Miller was all over the place. So I mean we gotta get we gotta get something from those guys, those guys. I can't put it all off on these freshmen. I'm not going to do that.
3: Okay, couple things. First off, I beg every single college basketball coach in the country, please stop saying you're young. To a point, outside of Notre Dame, everyone can say that. We're young. Oh, stop. Stop. I hear Brad Underwood from Illinois saying, we're young. Yeah, amongst Power 5 teams, are one of the youngest, but they also have two grad transfers who have played a ton of basketball, one winning a national championship. Michael Meyer at Baylor. Terrence Shannon came from Texas Tech. So, yeah, they're young parts, but you're still pretty doggone old. So stop with the young stuff. There's enough players on this IU team that have played significant minutes where you shouldn't get your clock cleaned by 19 points at Penn State or lose at home to Northwestern. Enough of the young stuff. Stop. Please, just stop. They got to play better. They got to play harder. You can't give up 80 points per game. IU can't shoot it well enough for the opposition to score 80. So... Maybe Mike Woodson might just lock up the basketballs for a couple of days and focus on defense to try to straighten this thing out. Another ranked team coming up for Indiana. On Saturday, the Hoosiers will host the Wisconsin Badgers. And the third of three hat-trick topics to start Budweiser's weekday sports meet on this Thursday. I want to discuss Jim Harbaugh for a couple of moments, the Michigan head football coach. There was a time where it looked like Jim Harbaugh could have been fired as head coach of the Wolverines. He could not beat Ohio State. There was some talk that Michigan would like to have fired him, but they did not want to pay the buyout and hire a brand new coach. I got that from someone who knows Michigan very, very well. So maybe the financial fears actually worked out for Michigan because Harbaugh has now turned the corner, and look what he's accomplished over the last two years. He is 2-0 against Ohio State, two-time defending Big Ten champions, and back-to-back trips to the college football playoffs. Now, last year, Harbaugh signed a brand-new five-year deal that runs through 2026. But after another successful year, there's some contract negotiations taking place between Harbaugh and A.D. Ward-Manuel. But they can't come to an agreement. While all that is going on, then there's the outside noise, which could be Harbaugh just playing the game, trying to suck a little more money out of Michigan, or maybe he's interested in going back to the NFL. Who knows? Reportedly, he's already interviewed with the Denver Broncos over Zoom, and also he has talked to the Carolina Panthers. People around Harbaugh have said in stories, again, off the record, but they have stated that if it's the right situation, that Harbaugh will go to the NFL. That could be all just playing the game trying to get more money out of Michigan because Harbaugh has some pretty good leverage at this time. Beating Ohio State two times in a row, you win back-to-back Big Ten titles and you get to the playoff. But they can't come together on an agreement. Is Ward Manuel saying, well, you haven't looked so hot in the college football playoff. We love the Ohio State record. We love the trophies we're getting from the Big Ten, but... The playoff has not gone very well, including losing to TCU 51-45 in the semifinal. How does Michigan feel after watching TCU just get crushed by Georgia 65-7? Michigan kind of beat themselves with the fumbles, the pick sixes. But they were home for the title game while TCU probably at some point wishes they would have been on the couch Eating cheeseburgers with the Wolverines. So, is this going to get done? Is this going to be the end of Harbaugh at his alma mater? Is he going back to the NFL, or is he just playing Michigan right now and trying to use the NFL as more leverage? Well, right now, Harbaugh is the, reportedly the 12th highest-paid college football coach at 7.05 million dollars. I've read he makes about $2 million less than Ohio State head coach Ryan Day. That's significant when you've beaten him two consecutive years. We won't talk about the overall record. We'll just focus on the last two years. Harbaugh against Ohio State. Maybe there is some movement today in the negotiations as Michigan President Santa Ono has gotten involved in the negotiations Trying to help Ward Manuel get a deal done with Jim Harbaugh. It is so hard to read Jim Harbaugh. He's changed so much. When he was the head coach at San Diego, and at the time he was at San Diego, my good friend Bob Kamel was a co-host on this program, and he was around Jim at Michigan. And we had Jim on the program, I believe, twice. And it was like a normal conversation. You know, today we just see the quirky Jim Harbaugh, the hat, the glasses, the khaki, the whistle, the weird answers. He wasn't like that on our show. He was just kind of a quote unquote normal guy having a conversation with us. Now it's just so different, it's like it's staged. There's like a reason for everything he does at this particular time I'm a diehard Denver Bronco fan and I'm not really sole on this whole Harbaugh thing if it happens I'm not going to have anything to say I'm just going to let it play out the Walmart ownership group they've done pretty well in business I'm going to let them Make the proper decision, but it just makes me uneasy because of the quirkiness he brings. So anyway, Michigan, the negotiations continue. The fact the president is now involved, maybe that is a sign that Michigan is desperately trying to keep their head coach. And Harbaugh is sitting in a pretty good spot at this particular time. So our hat trick Topics to start the program today. Three Notre Dame players in the ESPN Top 100 College Football Players of 2022. Isaiah Fosky at 35. Number 19, Joe Alt. Number 11, Michael Mayer. We talked about Indiana's defense. Ugh. Penn State 85, Indiana 66. And the saga continues between Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. It doesn't sound like the Colts are interested. In Harbaugh, Some linked the two because Harbaugh, of course, played in Indianapolis. But if something's happening between the two, it's really, really off the record. The Colts have been public about when they have completed an interview with a head coaching candidate. But we have not heard Harbaugh and the Colts linked, at least publicly. 29 minutes in front of 6 o'clock coming up in a couple of moments. Let's spend some time on the Indianapolis Colts. Their general manager, Chris Ballard, has met the media. He's taking a lot of responsibility for the 4-12-1 season. What about a quarterback in the first round? Would he move up to get his guy? Answers coming up as Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT
3: five thirty six at Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT. Darren Pritchett back with you with our Twitter question of the day. And today we're going to focus on the NFL playoffs. First, yesterday's question, which we posted on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat What NFC lower seeded team has the best chance of winning this weekend? The three choices. The Seattle Seahawks going to San Francisco to take on Brock Purdy and the 49ers. Mike McGlinchey, Aaron Banks with that San Francisco football squad. Choice number two, the G-Men, Big Blue. The New York football giants in Minneapolis to take on the Minnesota Vikings. Choice number three, the Dallas Cowboys at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Those are the three wild card matchups in the National Football Conference. You voted, here are the results. Third in the voting, a distant third, just 5% of the vote, the Seattle Seahawks beating the San Francisco 49ers. Doesn't seem likely, but it is a divisional matchup. San Francisco crushed Seattle. In San Francisco, back in week two. That was the game that Trey Wirtz, the 49ers' first quarterback, was injured and lost for the year. Geno Smith, you better have a big game because the 49ers might be the best team in the NFC. Second place in the voting the Giants knocking off the Minnesota Vikings. Honestly, this would not be a shock to me. First off, the Giants highly competitive at Minnesota within the last month, losing on a 60-yard field goal. The New York Giants can run the football effectively. The Minnesota Vikings have issues stopping the run. We fully expect the Giants to try to run it right down Minnesota's throats and then hope that... Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones, who improved a lot this year, sprinkles in a couple of big plays in the passing game, and who knows, maybe the Giants move on. Giants over the Vikings got 40% of the vote. And winning the vote with 55%, the Dallas Cowboys going to the pirate ship and beating Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady has never lost to the Cowboys. So you're saying there's a chance in Tampa. This could be Tom Brady's last game. As the Buccaneers quarterback, there's speculation he might play for somebody else next year. Remember, he's already got a deal with Fox to be an analyst. I guess that's in play. But this guy, it sure seems like he wants to continue to play football. Can he beat the Cowboys? You say no. The Cowboys got 55% of the vote. We thank you for voting, and here comes today's Twitter question of the day, which is up right now on my Twitter account at 960sportsbeat. Which AFC lower-seeded team has the best chance of winning this weekend in the wild-card round? Once again, you have three choices. Choice number one, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the champions of the AFC South. Hosting the Los Angeles Chargers. The Jaguars routed the Chargers in L.A. earlier this year. Choice number two, the Miami Dolphins. Going to Buffalo and beating the Bills. If that's going to happen, it's Skylar Thompson at quarterback for Miami. Tua Tagovailoa is still out with the concussion. Choice number three. It's an AFC North divisional matchup that occurred in Cincinnati in the final week of the regular season. And here we go again, the Baltimore Ravens visiting the Cincinnati Bengals. Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson continues to be out. We expect Huntley to start at quarterback for Baltimore. So which of those lower seeded AFC teams have the best chance of winning this weekend? Is it the Jaguars in Duval against the Chargers? About the Dolphins going to Buffalo or the Ravens traveling to Cincinnati and knocking off the defending AFC champion Bengals. You can vote right now, tonight, through the day, tomorrow. Just check out my Twitter account at 960-Sportspeed. Budweiser's weekday sports is being brought to you by Budweiser and our friends at United Beverage. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Their newest location on Lincoln Way in the Twin Branch area. It's now open for carryouts. Barnaby's The Family Inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. By Midland Engineering Company. Beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. By the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, for new beginnings. Have happy endings i promise you some colts talk we will do that coming up in our next segment 542 at sports radio 960 wsbt on
1: budweiser's weekday sports beat don't you guys go anywhere plan to put on a hitting display the center fielder that is good number nine nine times nine times nine times, nine times. West League champion. Adios, walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez. Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios, goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. Here's Darren Pritchett.
3: 547 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com. And on our free WSBT radio app, the live video stream rolling right now on the Twitch app. Right now, let's focus on the Indianapolis Colts. Wow, what a year for the Colts, 4-12-1. I thought they would be right there competing with the Titans for the AFC South. Well, the Titans were right there. But with the Jacksonville Jaguars, with the Jaguars winning in week 18 to make it to the postseason, the Colts way down the line at 4-12-1. and one. Thankfully, the Houston Texans are in the AFC South and that keeps the Colts out of the basement. It has been such a strange ride for the Colts. They had an all-pro quarterback in Andrew Luck. He retires abruptly from the National Football League and the Colts have been scrambling ever since, going with Phillip Rivers, who did okay. He was okay. Then you have the Carson Wentz experiment that did not go well. They trade for Matt Ryan from the Falcons, and the offense just fell apart in 2022. It's not all on Ryan, the offensive line. They put a lot of money into that unit. They did not perform at a high level which affected Ryan, who is a sitting duck in the pocket since he can't move very well. Jonathan Taylor was injured. It just was such a a tough year offensively for Indianapolis. Leonard, their linebacker, was out most of the year. So the pieces just didn't fall into place for Indianapolis in 2022. The guy responsible for this franchise is general manager Chris Ballard. And when he met with the media this week, he did not duck any punches. He is taking full responsibility for a 4-12-1 record.
4: Look, I failed. I'm not going to sit up here and make excuses. Failed a lot of people. Um, highly disappointed you know, about where we're at, how the season went. You know, I never take lightly what's at stake here. And it's not, you know, the wins and losses, but, you know, people's lives are on the line, players, families, coaches, families, front office, people in this building, and I don't ever take that lightly. And, you know, I'm disappointed. Um, Disappointed where we're at, and ultimately, it falls on my shoulders. I I won't walk away from that. I won't run from it, saying that, We'll grow from it, and I'll grow from it, and I'll get better because of it. You know, unfortunately, you know, our greatest moments of growth and greatest times of growth happen in the darkness, and you just got to keep your eyes open and see the light. I had some rough moments, you know, this season, thinking about, you know, where we're at and how we got where we're at, the mistakes I had made. And there's only one way to, you got to go through it. You know, you can't avoid it, can't go over it, can't go on it. I mean, you got to go through it. It's the only way you're going to grow. And I believe in our people. I believe in our processes. We have really smart, good people in this building. And I believe going forward we'll prove that. I know there's doubt. There should be. Absolutely, there should be. Uh, The criticism, it's warranted. Criticism, you know, regarding my job and what I've done, it's warranted. But I'm still, I've not lost any confidence in what we can build here.
3: Chris Ballard talking about his responsibility for the situation in Indianapolis. He mentioned in those comments mistakes were made he was asked to elaborate more on some of the things that he did that went wrong this year
4: when you're changing quarterbacks every year it's tough it's tough on everybody tough on you know the team and you know not getting that position settled um you know has a little something to do with it um and that's no indictment on any of the quarterbacks we have i mean let me talk about matt ryan i mean it's not an indictment on matt ryan matt ryan is as professional a guy player that I've ever been around, and I still think he's got you know something left to you know something left to you know in his body to play. Smart, knows how to play the game. Um, you know, looking back early in the season, we you know we had some changes to the offensive line, and that's where our struggles occurred early, and you know we just never really recovered from them. Um, and it took us some while to get some continuity. I probably underestimated that. I thought we've been so good up front, you know, for the last few years, I thought with, you know, the three really good players we had coming back in, Braden, Ryan Kelly, and, and Quentin, that we would absorb those other positions and they would come up to speed right away. And it just didn't occur that way. And, you know, that's, that's a mistake now. I will say mid-season, I did think the line played better. I thought they played better down the stretch. I know they've taken a lot of criticism, but down the stretch, they—that wasn't the reason we were losing. Um, the one thing you'll—I mean, it's a fickle game, but—and I know people say it all the time, but like more games are lost than won. We lost them. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot be minus 13 in the turnover ratio and win. You can't do it. You can't be 32nd in the league in the red zone and win and I think on defense we either finished 30th or 31st in the red zone like those are key areas of the game that you have to perform to be able to win there's a way to win every game I've said this every year with whoever you have I mean the talent level in this league between teams sure there's going to be a few that have low but it's it's not I mean it's not here and here
3: well the mistakes and the inability to win has been a problem for a good amount of time. Do you realize the Colts have not won the AFC South since 2014? In that span of time, every other AFC South team has won it two times. At least, the Jaguars, the Titans, and even the Texans. Under Chris Ballard, you go back to 2017, 4-12, In the years after... 10-6, 7-9, 11-5, 9-8, 4-12-1. Six seasons, a record of 45-52-1, zero AFC South titles, and I think we would all agree if we sat down to the barbershop and had this conversation, it is the weakest division in the National Football League. There are six games every single year that seem very winnable in that division. Now, there are times where couple of the teams have been stronger and separated themselves from the rest of the pack, but compared to the other divisions, the AFC South is a very nice place to call home, but they've not been able to even hang a banner that says AFC South champions in almost a decade. So it's time for that to stop. The losing needs to stop now, and it all begins again with finding the right quarterback. They have gone the veteran route. Hasn't worked out. The team fell apart around Matt Ryan this year. The Colts have the fourth pick in the draft. There are probably two quarterbacks that stand out more than the rest. C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. He definitely, with the way he played against Georgia, put himself in a really good position. Bryce Young from Alabama, of course. Will Levis, I think people vary on how good he is, the kid out of Kentucky. So there's two, maybe three quarterbacks that would be taken in the top five or the top ten. Where the Colts sit right now, no guarantee they get one of those quarterbacks because number one, Chicago, number three, Arizona likely will trade out and teams in need of a quarterback will move up. We'll get to that in a second, how that affects the Colts. First things first, should we be surprised if the Colts take a quarterback with their first-round pick? Here's Chris Ballard.
4: No, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's the fourth pick of the draft. Um, we are, I mean, excuse my language, but we earned we are that. Um, <laughs> I don't like earning it, but we did. Um, I've said this before. And I think history proves me right. I can take one. We can take one as an organization. And y'all are going to celebrate it <laughs> and say we have got the savior for the Colts. And then if he doesn't play well, why'd you take that guy? You got to be right. We got to be right. We understand the magnitude of where we understand the magnitude of where we're at in the draft. and. We understand the importance of the position. To get one that actually you can win with and to be right is the most important thing. Not if we take one or not, but being right.
3: Hmm. He's right there. (laughs) There's no doubt if they take one, fingers crossed. If it doesn't go well, what in the world were you thinking? Here's the important question, and this factors in to how Bears fans may look at the draft. The Colts could be one of those teams calling the Bears about the number one overall pick. Number four is not safe in getting the quarterback you want. The Colts may have to jump up. They may have to spend some draft collateral to get there. The question is, would the Colts be willing to do that? Listening to Colts fans on our sister station ninety six one the ton the post game show after Colts games on ninety six one the ton you you get the sense that the Colts fan base feel like Ballard is too conservative in making moves that he's not willing to put both feet into the pool. He kind of tiptoes in and out. He was aggressive getting DeForest Buckner for a first-round pick a few years ago. That worked out amazingly well. They have not made the big move up in the draft to get a quarterback. You just heard him say, "Won't we'll be surprised if he takes a quarterback in round one with that fourth overall pick or whatever pick he ends up choosing from but is he willing to move up to number one to make sure you get the quarterback you want instead of, well, this is the only one left. Let's just go ahead and give it a shot. So here's Ballard on, would he move up to number one? Would he sell out
4: to get the quarterback he wants? i do whatever it takes. If we if we thought there's a player that, that we're driven to get that makes the franchise and the team better, that's what we would do.
0: Along the same lines, you, you, you have kind of, I think the fans have a... a Um, a depiction of you where you're conservative. You do trade back a lot, and and I understand why. Um, Whether it's draft, free agency, trades, whatever, um, do you feel like there's a need to maybe go for it a little more like we have been seeing around the league? Whatever shape that takes.
4: I think it just, I think it always, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I mean, we did trade for Buckner. We did trade for Carson. did not mean we were right on the trade, but we traded for him. We did trade for Matt Ryan. Um, it's not like we haven't done anything. Like, we've just sat on our heels and we're just going to draft every player. And, no, we've, we've, made, we've made some aggressive moves. Um, now, they weren't always free agent moves, but, you know, Buckner, I would say Buckner was a good trade, unequivocally. Um, I would take 53 to force Buckners. Times to be aggressive will be aggressive when we need to be.
3: Okay, there you go, Colts fans. There's the guy they really want, and I would assume – that owner, Jim Ursay will have a major say in this. I think he wants to get that quarterback situation settled as much as anybody. And I would not be surprised if he does not instruct Ballard to make sure he gets the guy the Colts want. So I would not be shocked if it is the Colts moving up from 4-1, to one, trading with the Bears. That's perfect for the Bears. And it's perfect for the Colts if they pick the right guy. Look at it from a Colts standpoint. They get the pick of the litter. They get their guy. They give up more draft capital to do it, but you got to get your guy. You got to get it right. The Bears only moved down three spots, and you know Houston's taking a quarterback at two. So hypothetically, let's play the game. Let's say the Colts are the team that moves up to one. They take a quarterback. Houston Texans are picking two. They're taking a quarterback. So worst case, if the Bears trade with Indianapolis, they get the second best non-quarterback in the draft. Unless they move down again, which would not shock me. So you could get Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia. You could get Anderson, the pass rusher from Alabama. And all of a sudden your defense looks a whole lot different. But the Bears, if they can make that trade with Indianapolis, you move down three spots, but the first two picks are going to be quarterbacks, and you're fine with that. Now, Arizona probably is going to trade down as well. They're not taking a quarterback with Kyler Murray, so there's a chance the three quarterbacks could go one, two, three, and then what do you know? It's like the Bears are picking first again. They get the choice of the player they want that's not a quarterback. Wouldn't that be perfect? You get all this extra draft collateral for trading down from one to four, and you still may get the guy that you want from the get-go. Under that scenario, you would still get your guy. And Ryan Poles would look like a genius, and the Colts would be happy because they would get to pick the quarterback they want. So the local fan bases might have an interesting – Little friendship over the next few months, trying to see if their teams work out a deal, which would benefit both franchises. And then they'll, those two teams will be linked for a good amount of time, watching how that trade evolves over time. All right, 6.03 is our time. I'm Darren Pritchett, Colts Football on one, The Ton. Coming up in a couple of moments, we've got a sports update to get to, including some Notre Dame news and notes, plus the announcement of the date of the Blue Goal game for the Fighting Irish in April. And also, coming up in just a little bit, we'll talk some Notre Dame basketball, go back to the other night when they held on to beat Georgia Tech, and we'll play a little Who Do You Trust? of the 14 teams that are in the NFL playoffs. I'll try to put in order... The quarterbacks, how much I trust them from least to most. We'll have an NFL playoff conversation coming up on Bud Weiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: You can listen to budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free wsbt radio app just search wsbt radio in the app store and google play now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host darren pritchett
3: Six fifteen at wsbt first hour of the program I spent a couple of moments on michigan Jim Harbaugh trying to renegotiate his contract. The president, Ono, has gotten involved in the negotiations. He's made a couple of public comments. Harbaugh on Twitter writes, I am in full support of President Ono's message to our fans and appreciate his support of me and the team. He has done nothing like that in regard to A.D., Word manual. So the standoff continues, although the president is involved. Maybe something gets done. But, man, Harbaugh just doesn't make it easy on Michigan. For years, he didn't beat Ohio State, which made it difficult on Michigan whether to keep this Michigan man. And now that he beats Ohio State, now it's a headache because every year we have to deal with him flirting with the National Football League and ended up last year signing a bigger deal. Maybe that's going to happen once again. Maybe he goes to Denver. Maybe he goes to Carolina. Who knows at this point. But Jim just kind of twisting the knife a little bit by putting out that social media response to President Ono's support of Jim, and he thanked him for doing so. To be continued. No doubt about that. Let's continue on here. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio. Irish basketball team, they got their ACC win the other night. They were down seven with less than two thirty to go in regulation. Cormac Ryan, one of the veteran players on this team, sparks the huddle with some very, I think, blunt comments maybe that sparked the team whatever the case may be they forced overtime and then lashevsky hit a couple of free throws in the final 30 seconds and Notre Dame beat Georgia Tech Tuesday night 73 72 in overtime for Mike Bray just happy his squad is back in the win column even though they're just one in five in the ACC they needed to get that first victory
5: Can we count that board one, one? Uh, nine, Great for that group. What was it? Uh, down seven? Were down seven? Mm-hmm. Two thirty ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. C Max Huddle. Coach didn't need to say anything. And 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 we really guarded well enough all night. I thought we did really defend a couple just that we lost transition stuff there and uh, took a big punch and uh, but we answered and it's a neat group of kids, man. They keep trying, they've been, they've seen it all. Uh, and and I thought JJ really handled just a you know, you, you've heard me say it before. We, we've changed the lineup sometimes just to change the karma, maybe help a guy do something different. And um, you know, now he will start his hometown on Saturday, I wouldn't do that to him. And we started him the second half, but um, we just needed to changed something up, and he handled it like a man, even though that's new territory, um, you know, for him. But um, our crowd was great. I mean, I know we haven't, you know, we came limping back into town with five losses, and, you know, it was semi, you know, ugliest game in the history of basketball for a while, and we couldn't do anything offensively. And our crowd really helped us, man, down the stretch to to believe. So I appreciate them and Um, but uh, you got to start somewhere and uh, did some neat things.
3: There you go. Mike Brage is happy to get the victory. said the defense was a little better. Man, I hate to be harsh, but it has to be better. It's not been very good throughout the year. Mike has pointed out not many guys taking charges. I think there needs to be more floor burns with this particular team. Rebounding we knew was going to be an issue. Going into the season, it's played out. Georgia was plus nine in the rebounding category against the Irish. Now, Georgia Tech shot 40% from the field, 8 of 27 from three, and 10 of 12 from the free throw line. So that was good enough, and the Irish forced 14 Georgia Tech turnovers. They're not Virginia by any stretch of the imagination It was a positive step forward. Is Georgia Tech one of the more dynamic offenses? No, I don't think we can put them in that particular category, but I got to be honest, we can't be picky at this point. This was a step forward for this team. They have very little on their NCAA tournament resume, and you got to start somewhere. I know that sounds corny. It sounds like coach speak, but it's kind of true at this point. They just have to start somewhere, and it started with a win over Georgia Tech, and you got to follow that up with a road win against Syracuse. The Irish in desperate need of a win away from Purcell Pavilion. I mean, the NCAA tournament is so far off the radar right now. I'm just saying in general, this is a place to start. If you're going to make one heck of a magical run, (laughs) you can't lose to Georgia Tech. So, The Irish were able to put together a really good performance from Dane Goodwin. 19 points, 12 rebounds. They got Leshevsky with 14. I wonder, I wish I could sit down with a coach of Notre Dame and review game film. How many times a game do they miss Leshevsky on that slip, slip screen? Where he comes out, sets a screen out front, and then rolls to the basket. It seems like two, three times every game, they miss him. Going to the basket, he's going downhill. Ball doesn't find him. Not shooting as many threes, at least as many as I wish he would shoot. He was one of four the other night. I'd love to see him be more involved in the offense. I don't know if eight field goal attempts is what the coaches are looking for. I think he would be a guy you want in double figures every ball game, but it's not working out. 14 points and seven rebounds for Nate Lashevsky. So a little bit more from Mike Braid. This is just Mike talking about what one win could do for this very old Notre Dame squad.
5: I think it helps us. It really does. And and um, you know um, and, and and it. I don't know. Maybe we play better when we're <laughs> completely up against the wall like that. And uh, instead of maybe having a lead or something, I don't know. Um, but but it, it, it is a. You know, it's certainly a psychological incompetence. We're looking for some confidence. We're searching for something. Um, and and so, you know, to see, to go in and just be able to celebrate a league win uh, and have to really work to get it and do some stuff, you know, it's my job to sell them that we found something. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, that's kind of true. you got to package this. Sometimes for Christmas you buy a present that may not be that glamorous, but you wrap it extra special and make the president look a whole lot nicer than it is. That's kind of that win. If you watch the ballgame or listen to it, first half was not a thing of beauty. It felt like Notre Dame was on 16, 17 points for half an hour. Georgia Tech wasn't scoring a whole lot. The Irish were up 30, 29 at halftime and then had to come from seven down with less than 2.30 to play just to get the ball game into overtime. Mike referenced in his opening comments that Cormac Ryan went into the huddle during that timeout, and for the lack of a better phrase, he raised some hell. Team responded, whether it was because of that or not, they got the game into overtime, and here's Mike talking about that down seven timeout. Where Cormac Ryan took charge.
5: When we're in that time out and we're coming in there after they punched us, I'm like, ooh. You know, one of the one of the things that it is miserable about this job and, and being it, you have to think about what you're gonna say if you lose. You can't not you, you can't not be prepared for that. Even at two o'clock, you gotta go, all right, how do I pick them up? If we don't get it, and that sucks, <laughs> especially when you're 0-5. And, 5. and uh, <clears throat> hey, at that time out, I'm going like, ooh. So, to work out of it and have some positives, that's how fragile a season is. It's just amazing. So, um, let's head to Syracuse and shoot it over the zone.
3: I think, personally, at times, I wish this team had a little more fire, on the floor, Cormac Ryan will show emotion. You'll see him clapping his hands or pumping his fists, giving out a, a howl every once in a while. But this is a, a pretty quiet team. Dane Goodwin is all business, but does it in a quiet way, which isn't a bad thing. Nate Leshevsky is very quiet. Trey Wirtz just kind of tiptoes around out there, doesn't say a whole lot. J.J. Sterling, I think, does a lot of his talking by – his ability to make some good moves on the basketball floor, but it's it's kind of a quiet team, so I like the fact Cormac finally said, all right, enough of this, and he took charge of that particular huddle. Is this something that could lead to bigger and better things? I want to be positive, but I think at this moment, don't we all agree they got to show us? We've gotten our hopes up at times this year. Well, maybe it's going to turn around and then there's a collapse late in the ball game and then we're like, "Wow, what in the world just happened?" So, I think for this veteran team who dazzled us last year in March Madness, making a move in the NCAA tournament to a team that right now is 9 and 8, 1 and 5, they almost have to we almost have to just see it happen once again or a couple of times before we get a little more invested in this team once again. This was a win, wasn't pretty, but I'll take that, the win. And you figure out how to make it prettier in the days leading up to the next game, which is against Syracuse, a team that beat the Irish by a single point back in early December at Purcell Pavilion. It's not a great Syracuse team. I was extremely disappointed With that loss, in fact, that game might have been my biggest disappointment of the year because Syracuse was coming off just getting trucked in Champaign by Illinois. They came to South Bend and figured out a way to win by a point. I was was really down after that game. That one was one that I felt like should have went into the win column. Things went downhill from there. Now let's see if the Irish can steal back the game from Syracuse, then you split the season series, you make up for the home loss, and you try to move on from there. But where is the consistent defense going to come from? Where is the consistent offense going to come from? J.J. Starling did not start in this game. I'm sure he'll be back in the starting lineup for Syracuse. They miss him when he's not out there. That athleticism, the ability to get to the basket, like to see him continue to get better defensively. They need JJ Starling to play above the year next to his number and name in the scorebook, and that is Freshman. He's got to be really good for this team. Trey Wirtz, Marcus Hammond are just you know, out there right now filling spots, not giving the Irish a lot of massive big games at this time. it's it's really Nate, Cormac and Dane. And J.J. coming along as a freshman, there's just not a lot of, of scoring depth. Now, the good news is Van Allen Lubin sounds like he'll be back on Saturday against Syracuse, which will take Don Campbell back out of the rotation, probably Matt Zone as well. Those two combined for seven minutes and 18 seconds of basketball. They went 0-3 for 3 from the field, no points, three rebounds, and did not commit a foul in that game against Georgia tech. So it will be the Irish and Syracuse that ball game Saturday night, seven o'clock here on WSBT radio. Tony Simeone will have the pregame coverage starting at six 30, at WSBT coming up next. The NFL playoffs start this weekend of the 14 teams that are still going after a super bowl title. The quarterbacks of these teams, who do we trust the least? Who do we say we're good? We'll have a list for you coming up in a couple of moments. We still have our Sizzler segment to get to as we continue on in the six o'clock hour. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Thursday from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960. WSBT Highlight reel one by Williams Down the sideline Williams chased by Gamble. 20 10 What a run touchdown Spectacular run Here's the fake Meyer looking Meyer finding the other tight end Earl
2: Smith touchdown Five by Rocket touchdown Irish
1: Here's your host Darren Pritchett
3: And welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday sports Speed on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. The NFL playoffs coming up this weekend right here on WSBT Radio. To get you into the mood for the NFL postseason, I've ranked the 14 quarterbacks remaining. Sorry about that. The 14 quarterbacks remaining in the National Football League playoffs. And we're ranking them from least trust to most trust. Let's go with the bottom of the barrel first. Tua Tagovaiola out for the Dolphins. Still dealing with a concussion, still in concussion protocol. So Skylar Thompson at quarterback, and he's facing the Bills. That's why Thompson is the least trusted quarterback at 14. At 13, not too far ahead, is Tyler Huntley, the Baltimore Ravens quarterback. Lamar Jackson still dealing with a PCL injury. He has not played in over a month and it's going to be Huntley going to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Huntley's played a little more. I think the Ravens have more of a shot against Cincinnati than the Dolphins do against the Bills, so Huntley at 13. So that's kind of my fourth tier. Then I've got six quarterbacks in the third tier. Number 12 on my list as we go from least trust to most trust, I've got Seattle quarterback Geno Smith. Hey, Geno has had a terrific season. In the National Football League, a high draft pick that didn't work out. He's been a backup quarterback, got his chance in Seattle, and had a great year for the Seahawks. But he's going up against that tough 49ers defense. That's why Geno's at 12. Well, this is is probably the most controversial of my picks, but at 11, I have Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys. He played five less games in the National Football League this year than most of the starting quarterbacks, but still tied for the NFL lead in interceptions. There are times the Cowboys look like the best offense in the NFL. There are times they don't look anywhere close to that. I don't trust him. In big games, I don't trust him. Maybe I don't trust his team either. I've got Prescott at 11. I've got Trevor Lawrence ahead of him who's playing in his first playoff game. Lawrence is looking like the franchise quarterback coming out of Clemson. I think he has a really good game against the Chargers. I've got the Jags quarterback at number 10. Least trust to most trust. Quarterbacks in the NFL playoffs, we're still in that third tier. At number nine is Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins. History shows when the lights are brightest, things don't seem to work out perfectly perfectly. For Cousins, They're taking on the New York Giants. I expect this to be a tight game. Cousins may have to rally his football team if the Giants can run the football like I think they will in this game. History tells me don't bank on Kirk Cousins, so he's basically kind of middle of the pack at 9. At number 8, the guys going up against Daniel Jones of the Giants. Who would have thought at the start of the year A, we'd be talking about daniel jones and the giants being in the playoffs and b that daniel jones would be a quarterback that i actually trust more than a handful of other quarterbacks he's looked good this year and the giants wide receivers have been either traded or banged up this year he's got saquon barkley man ride that penn state running back throughout the postseason i've got jones at eight and i think he can do some damage against the vikings At seven, how about a rookie quarterback? Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy of the 49ers. How can you not trust him at this point? He throws two touchdown passes every game. Has not made many fatal mistakes so far. He is rock solid. Mr. Irrelevant, he's Mr. Relevant. Brock Purdy, number seven on my list. Quarterbacks left in the playoffs, Least trust to most trust. We now go to the second tier. There are two quarterbacks in this tier. This guy, it was hard to find a spot for him. Justin Herbert of the L.A. Chargers, I've got him at number six, averaging over 290 passing yards per ball game. I think it's more about not trusting his team, more so than Justin Herbert. I think he's the guy that's going to have to play extremely well for them to win. And Duval against the Jaguars. Plus, one of his better wide receivers, Mike Williams, a little dinged up from the Denver game last week. At number five, he could be the MVP of the NFL, Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles. Dangerous running the football. Has had a great year throwing it. His wide receiving core has been terrific. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. They've got a solid running game. It's hard to put Hurts only at five, but when you see the other quarterbacks left, you kind of see why. My top tier has four quarterbacks. And at number four is the GOAT. Tom Brady going after his eighth Super Bowl title. Back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That offense has not been able to run the football this year, which is going to put a lot of pressure on Tom to come up big. Nobody gets rid of the football quicker than Tom Brady. And with that offensive line in question, that's a good thing. Former Irish offensive lineman Robert he's the starting center right now for Tampa Bay. I've got Tom Brady at number four. Least trust to most trust. At number three, I like this guy more and more. Joe Burrow of the Cincinnati Bengals. He's got a swagger. He's cocky, and he's really good. The problem is... The right side of their offensive line is really banged up, and I'm wondering if Baltimore might be able to put enough pressure on Burrow to cause him issues in this game. But he showed what he can do in the postseason in the big moments last year. I'm confident Burrow will come up with a pretty good game against Baltimore. I've got Burrow at number three. Number two, Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills trying to get to the Super Bowl For the first time, he's not number one because he throws a lot of interceptions, including in the red zone. He gives away a lot of points. Even though that Bills team, I think, is still the best in the AFC, can't make those mistakes in the postseason when you're playing the other elite teams in your conference. Number one, got to go with Patrick Mahomes because he doesn't throw many of those big interceptions. Has a Super Bowl title. He's been to two Super Bowls. He's the guy I trust more than any other. NFL playoffs right here on WSBT Radio. Sports wagering talk next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.